Hello, I'm Isabel, she, her, hers. And I'm David, he, him, his. And we're two therapists with ADHD who sit down to have some chats about ADHD. We can't promise we'll stay on topic or be professional, or even remotely mature. But we can promise that you'll end up looking at you or your loved one's beautiful neurodivergent brain in a shiny new way. This is not a therapy session. This is something shiny. I love it. Do you like Uh, it? That's amazing. And can this just be the intro? You saying that and me freaking out about how amazing it is? Yeah. And you dropping your voice? That could be be our first intro. So without further ado, welcome to Something Shiny. I'm David. (laughs) In this episode, David is going to be giving a presentation he gives to professionals and folks with ADHD all across the country. It's amazing. And he managed to give it to some of our neurodiverse and neurotypical friends and family Christina, AJ, Gabe, and my husband, Bobby. Thank you so much for joining us, amazing friends and family. So for this episode, you're going to hear David talking about a PowerPoint presentation. Kind of hard to do over a podcast. So if you want to see some of these visuals he's talking about, go to our show notes to a link or go straight to our website, somethingshinypodcast.com. That's somethingshinypodcast.com, and you can check them all out for free. Now, without further ado, here is the brilliant David talking about all things ADHD. Hi, welcome to part four of my lecture series all about ADHD. If you haven't seen or listened to the first, second, or third part, feel free to go back and listen. Although this might make sense without it, The complete story is always better. Trigger warning, we do talk about suicide briefly in today's episode, and if that's a topic you want to avoid, you can skip past this episode or check out the show notes for a little more safety. It's so important to kind of honor that difference, like where where this starts, where you start feeling like it's always your, your fault. People with ADHD end up getting such a thick skin around making mistakes, like they can take any mistake, but all of a sudden they pair up with somebody else and they won't ever fail that person. Like, my partner cannot tolerate mistakes. My partner, my partner isn't mean at all. My partner's like very methodical and careful and moves through life in this like incredible way. Like, it's amazing. And I'm highly motivated and highly like capable and highly focused on making sure that like I get problems out of my partner's way. I'm like really reinforced by it. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I'm happy to jump on a grenade for her. Save her for a grenade. It's the lack of my response cost that makes me jump on the grenade. Wait, that's so important. Think about that. So think about how ADHD people will totally sacrifice themselves for people. Say it was my fault. How many of you have said that in life? Right. The room raised their hand. Right. And, and it's, it's one of those things that we see, like we, we look at incredible partners. We look at people with ADHD that want to protect everyone else from the self-esteem injuries that they have. And they're so injured in self-esteem that they don't realize that they have an injury. Wait, say that again? They're so injured they don't realize they have an injury. I just want to jump in and maybe talk about self-esteem for just one second. Through the power of a podcast, I can stop time and explain a topic a little bit more. Self-esteem is a really tricky wicket. It's not what we think. It's not the best thing to have super high self-esteem all the time. In fact, 
it's most likely the interplay between low self-esteem and high self-esteem that breeds effectiveness. Sometimes I'll do everything I can to protect another person. And that's a really good thing in the world. And that comes from a place where I think of other people sometimes before I think about myself. It's an interplay, not black and white. Now back to the podcast. They're so injured they don't realize they have an injury. You would think you're wrong for asking for the accommodation regardless. It's your fault. And that's the self-esteem injury. Yeah, so even when you're like, oh, maybe I have a right to request someone does something differently, like you will still think like, like I, it's on me that I had to act. Like, it's my fault that I couldn't hear. Can I pull up an example from like one of our first podcasts? Yes, the conference call. The conference call. <laughs> you you were on a conference call and like people uh, it, it, like it, it, oh, uh, you couldn't hear anything they were saying. Anything. Yeah, and you you muscled through it. <laughs> I spent like the whole time. But here's the thing: emotionally, the entire time I was like pure muscle tension, mm-hmm. like in a sheer panic. Yep. And yet I, I'm, I am a person who would never say that I can't hear somebody. Like, what is that? And we, I figured it what out. What would you tell somebody else to say it? One, bi- I, oh, I do it all day. <laughs> or if a friend, if, a fr- if I saw a friend was struggling, I'd go, oh, and I'd speak up. Like I would jump in anytime. I had a no, pro- I'd have no problem. Okay, sorry, I got so excited. No, it's so it's so relevant. Like yeah. you're talking about what self-esteem injury looks like. Yeah, because you don't think you're worth it. Because you don't you, you, but you don't even know how worthless you really might think you are. Sort right. of. Okay. Yes. That's harsh to say out loud. No, the the thing that that's so important to say because typically when I start working with people or they find a medication that works or something that actually helps in life, the first thing they think is like, "I'm cheating. I should be able to do this without that thing." It's like the first, it's like, it's totally part of this self-esteem injury. Like, like uh, I ended up taking medication and I was like, oh my God. And I read a book and then my next thought was like, oh my God. So I need medication to read a book. Never mind, I wear glasses. Like I, I, I need these to see and I'm not judging these at all. But like, I'm like, oh, I'm a terrible person for taking medicine. Like, like, <laughs> right, like right away. But it's what we do with self-esteem. It's like how we judge accommodations. Like our accommodations are no good, but like I see lots of people wearing glasses, not just ADHD people, so that's not worthless. Self-esteem does incredible things to people in terms of changes. And ADHD is best marked by like the need for an increased stimulation, right? So how does a body stimulate itself? What emotions do you think you can get into to make your heart beat faster? Anger. Yes. Excitement. Yes. I was going to say sex. That's not an emotion. So that's a we could call it an emotion. A sexual emotion, like like a, like attraction, arousal, arousal. Yeah, like fear and fear. Yeah. These are the things that somebody with ADHD will do to stimulate themselves in absence of medication. <laughs> Sorry, we just had some like like aha moments here. Mm. Something so, just happened. Say, mm. say it again. Say the four. Your four fingers up, Sam. Arousal, excitement, anxiety, and anger. And fear, right? And fear. Sorry, I said anxiety, but yeah, yeah. fear. So going through scenarios that make you angry, going through scenarios that make you anxious. Cool. It's like self-stimulation. It's self-stimulation. That's when we're talking about the rumination at the end of the night if you don't move enough. It's like that's what people do to like work off the energy. And what becomes the accommodation that people don't realize is the excitement. 
So if you know that, you can then switch. You yes. feel yourself making yourself angry. You can think, oh, you know what? This is just me trying to stimulate myself. Let's move it. The hardest part is it's a habit and it's a neurological habit. So you don't notice it's happening at first. The hardest thing is you don't try, to, and this is where the difference for ADHD versus non-ADHD comes in. I, my, if you're getting all angry, I'm not gonna go calm down because if you calm down, you'll feel like, yep. like and, and what people can't see is like my, my, my hands are clenched and I'm like shaking, like a content's under pressure, right? And so it's like, wow, it looks like you need to go for a run because I don't wanna hear you yell, get away from me and go move your body. <laughs> or, or you could do- like, But do you hear how like all of a sudden that's different or do some push-ups or go do some jumping jacks if you're feeling the, the need for anxiety or anger, I always say try to make your internals go as fast as like what you're thinking. Like, don't I don't get into the habit of like using a punching bag because like I don't want to like, like get, be angry and then start like shadow boxing because that intimidates everyone. <laughs> but, like, but, but if you you know go for a run or start stretching or doing push-ups like things like that, you can re hijack your system. Most people going into therapy will be told, you need to calm down. Let's talk about grounding breaths. Let's talk about giving you some deep breathing breaths. And you will feel like while, while you're doing it, you are literally, because you have bad self-esteem, you're going to think, this doesn't help. And I'm just sitting here. Jesus, I'm doing it wrong. I don't know how to do breathing. Oh, my God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but you do, and it's not working because what you don't need to do is breathe. What you need to do is like breathe really fast and hold your breath for a long time. Yeah. Wim Hof. Or do like circular breathing or like highly structured, activating. The, the reason why I love the Wim Hof, and I'm not invalidating what you're what saying. That? Wim Hof, and you can look it up, it's W-I-M-H-O-F, I think it's one F. It's this Danish guy that learned how to do a breathing technique so he could stay submerged in cold water for a really long time. Oh, yeah. He's called the Iceman. That's his other name that he goes by. He has current world records for like swimming under the polar ice cap for like eight minutes and jogging in the Arctic Circle with no pants. No, like legit, this guy is, but what he's done is he's. <laughs> just like. If, if, people, people at home are like Googling right now going, oh my God, no way, oh my God, this is right. Like this guy is crazy. He comes, it's a really sad story. Like uh, I believe his wife committed suicide. He's a father of two children. He was horribly, horribly depressed. One day in Amsterdam, he jumped in the river and I guess the river's really cold there, and coming out of the river, he was like hyperventilating, and he realized he felt better for the first time in years. And so what he focuses on is this breathing technique that has you take uh, short breaths and then holding, like exhaling all of the air and then holding it, feeling your body like oxygenate from, the, from your blood. I'm not gonna teach people how to do it with this podcast, but like definitely look into it because the Wim Hof is this, like, it's something that involves lots of fast breathing and holding your breath and people with ADHD finish it and go, oh yeah, I feel much better. Oh, that's so cool. They, whereas like most, a neurotypical person would need regulation. They would need to slow down themselves. They would not need to go faster. Another intervention for someone with ADHD that would feel better is jumping up and down and allowing your feet to hit the ground. I'm not gonna do it right now, but like jumping straight up and allowing yourself to like bop, just, just hit. Um, when your right foot touches the ground, the left side of your brain fires. When your left foot hits the ground, the right side of your brain fires. When you do both, burp, you ground yourself. You literally like, kind of like zorch out the brain. I'm also going to throw in a sensory motor thing, which is that you also, I bet, create a sequence of joint compression, which oh, yeah. is massive release of like slight, like it's a combo of adrenaline and. Oh my God. I've always told clients just to feel, feel the impact go up their spine. It's the impact. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Can I 
yep. back us up a little bit because yep. I don't want to skip this because we talked about like the school academic environment. Can we talk about that peer yeah. environment and the social stuff? Because like, like for example, I kind of missed maybe a lot of the academic wounds, but like the social wounds when your peers like know you're there's something different about you or your impulsivity causes you to just shout out the answer all the time not that i did that today like four times already you're talking about what it feels like when you don't fit in yes and what it feels like when you can't be normalized by your peers yes and in in terms of like in terms of the level of invalidation i see kids having to make a choice about becoming a person they don't want to be to fit in or sticking to the authentic nature of who they are and being ostracized. I'm just saying it like straight up looking at you, like honoring your experience, like mm -hmm. sticking to who you are, like that's not easy and it's hard being ostracized. And it happens to a lot of folks with ADHD because there's a three to five year maturation delay with ADHD, plus or minus. This is the weirdest thing, it's plus or minus, right? So let's just assume it's three years, plus or minus three years, right, anytime which means a 13-year-old can act like they're 10 or 16 considering the environment or context they're in, right? And so people have a hard time with that variable presentation. Why can't you act like you're 16 all the time? Why do you keep acting like you're 10? And like when you're a kid, this becomes really, really caustic, right? But then all of a sudden you're 30 and it's kind of an advantage because, you know, but honestly, let's think about that. Like, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm 27, I'm 33, let's bring it. Let's do this world. Like, I kind of get you, kiddo. I kind of get you, old dude. Let's hang out. Like, there's this whole thing that happens with that plus or minus maturation delay. But in school, inconsistency, a lot of, a lot of shaming, a lot of marginalizing, a lot of being ostracized. Like, or some ADHD people, it's the other way around. They use their networking skills to feel like they're hanging out with everyone, but they don't really get to know who they are because they're like nurturing so many different social connections. Yeah. It's a, and, and it's like, it's, everyone has these different experiences that like, in the, the, the big theme that we're all seeing though is like how it impacts self-esteem and how no one, like people with ADHD can take more hits than like most people, but like they feel them differently than most people. And that doesn't get validated. So, uh, thinking of schools, I thought this earlier, it seems that it could have two directions for school or education for people with ADHD, um, one of which is like, oh, embrace this and figure out a school that works for that. But I also could see like, oh, you just need a really crazy structured, disciplined school. Yes. And could be. Right? That you like, if I was at a boarding school growing up, maybe that would have been a lot different because I was only doing that mm -hmm. and like right it was, it was just saturation in that and there wasn't a lot of other options so i feel like that could have succeeded but i could see the other direction of like oh i just need this different kind of learning environment where well, we, it's very yeah. uh loose it, it, that's exactly it it's like what what we know is that people need accommodations and we don't always know what accommodations they need like we don't know if the boarding school would have worked we don't know if like rigid schooling would work and what we see is Folks with ADHD either struggle in school or do really well in school, right? And then what we see right after school is if they did well in school, they typically struggle because now they lost all their structure. And if they didn't do well in school, sometimes they do well in the absence of structure or they fail in different ways because of the absence of structure. But no one talks about like how they didn't have a chance. It's not the same fair shot like in terms of like how structure and how things are presented. 
And so we see people struggle when they have start families, when they get jobs, when they graduate, when they lose jobs. And like, I'll be sitting with someone in my office going, how come I have ADHD all of a sudden when I'm in my 40s and just getting a divorce for the first time? And it's like, well, let's talk about what accommodations you've had in your life. Like, this is, this is about you having it your whole life. This doesn't just, adult onset ADHD, like, does not happen. It's about environmental differences for the adult. Like, now you're working for a living, walking uphill both ways to school. Like, I don't know why I move my arms when I say that, but like, <laughs> it's part of it. I, I also want to back up a little to, I think when you named like, like having kids or like partnering up or losing a partnership or like maybe moving or like, like, like transitions, Yeah. major life transitions, major, major, like not handled differently. Yeah. If you have ADHD. But I think like, can I almost just say that differently? Mm-hmm. All transitions. All transitions. Like, like tonight. When I was on, when I was coming over here, I got all ready. I put on my hoodie. I stood up and I was like by the front door, and it was like six twenty. And I'm like, "What time should I come over?" And I'm like, "Ah, oh, seven fifteen. It's like great." I had no idea what to do with myself because that was a transition period. Like, all right, we're leaving in ten minutes or fifteen minutes, and it's too early. I can't start a show, and I can't cook something, and I don't want to get changed. And like, I just don't know what to do in those moments, right? Or when you get married, or when you have kids, or when you're trying to go from one class to another class, or from school to home. Or like transitioning from the entryway to the outside, to the car, to the place of business. So things get lost in transition. It's like lost in translation, but with ADHD, it's lost in transition. And it's like my water bottle tonight. No, no, my water bottle. You, you like my water bottle? Exactly. I did not bring it. I forgot it at my house. Like, like things get lost in transition. And the second you don't know that, the second you think you're an idiot. I'm like, I'm not an idiot. I did, was not holding my water bottle and it's full and I'm going to slam it when I get home. But like, it's not here now. It got lost in transition. And so in absence of structure, when people graduate, when they get married, when they have children, through loss, it's like everything changes. And what people need to realize is how they want to restructure their lives. That's the accommodation. That's the intervention. It's not just, this must be awful. I'm so sorry, which is what typical therapy can look like. That sounds awful. What are you going to do with your time? That subtle twist, right? <laughs> like, wh- what? I don't know. And I think that's... Is that, is that why uh, some people with ADHD avoid transitions? Yes. The transition, the entire time you're transitioning, you are uncomfortable. And you're more uncomfortable if you've left on time, you're not driving dangerously, you are not going to be late. You, and you have everything you need. Like, think about all the accommodations for a neurotypical person that would remove all of the dopamine for you in that transition. The transition would be the car ride, getting to the place. Families with ADHD, you see, like, one parent screaming, yelling, trying to get the whole family out of the house at the last minute. They're, like, 10 minutes late. They get the family there. The whole car ride, it's like, you sons of bitches. Like, like real hardcore yelling, right? And then you get to the place, and like, ah! It's so good to see you and everyone has a great time and you drive home safely happily right increased amounts of stimulation we're talking about the emotions that help an ADHD person manage it's like that's what it looks like I have a question <laughs> um, so here, here based on that because we'll have moments where where I'll get frantic and upset. It happened today. It happened multiple times today. It's happened every day. You know, and no matter how planned I, I get things and prep things and stuff. But where Isabel will say, you know, will call me out and go, 
take your medicine and then like just think about what you're doing or or uh, you know you're i think that you're just up, upset because you're trying to transition right now and that's getting you and i'm kind of like ah you know you know the secrets you know <laughs> but i think that the, but the thing that's interesting you know there's always a parent going if we would have left on time we wouldn't be here you know but when I do plan and when I do prep and when the morning, if I can have all that planned, I actually, I, I, I like that. Like, you know what I mean? So I can, I still get things done. I know that we've talked about how you'll do a presentation and you get on yourself because you're, you're prepping it the hour or the plane ride while you're on the way there. And then you're like, well, how can I do this? And then you go there and you, you, you knock it out of the park. And then you had to sort of understand that that was your process and give into that and, or, or, or accept that. And then, and now you, now that's how you do it. Yeah. I know that if, you know, my process is I'll, I will wait sometimes to the last minute, but when I do plan and when I do prep, I also enjoy that. So I'm trying to figure out because the, I guess because of the structure, but I'm trying to f f figure out where the, how the, where the dopamine. So where the, the structure allows predictability. And every time you leave on time, you're winning. I was just going to say, you set up so many, like it's a game. You set up like win, 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 win. You're getting the stimulation. You're not at like, you're not absently getting the stimulation and you're seeing how the structure <laughs> is an accommodation for you. Gotcha. And when we're talking about that parent that's screaming, usually that's the ADHD parent. So it's both of us that's, at different times. Wait, but that's the important thing to honor because they're transitioning. They need help transitioning, so they're screaming and yelling. I don't think it's always just the ADHD parent. It's hard being a parent, especially around people with ADHD. And it's hard being in transitions with people with ADHD. If you're getting angry, it's okay. And just remember, sometimes we need to ask for help. They need help transitioning, so they're screaming and yelling. And if someone next to them, which I know you have done for me, my beloved, um, if someone next to them goes, I got it, here's what you do, bum, bum, bum. Or like, look at the list you wrote on the wall. Do you have what you need? Like, if just one person starts, to, it's like you outsource the oh, thinking. If someone, yeah. if you just outsource it and you have it somewhere else, it's like, it's like the clouds part. And like, you're like, oh, and then you're right. The winning, like, I would think that it would make it tougher to transition to have things go smoothly. But as soon as I started thinking of it, kind of like you were saying, yeah. where it's like, a, it's like a win. Like, I did it. Like, that feels cool. And this is where I'm saying it's not a control issue. This is why it feels good. Mm. And because I'm saying it's not a control issue, it's because most people with ADHD will be like, well, this is just because I'm a controlling person. I'm literally saying the pejorative stigmatizing stuff first. Mm -hmm. It's about having that structure and it's about having a partner do that. Like Robin, like if I'm melting down because I'm supposed to leave and Robin's like, you're getting a little hot. Can you do me a favor? Can you go to the store and get me something? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it helps. <laughs> like, or please start taking all the bags to the car. Perfect. It's like 30 minutes before we have to go. But it's something to do. It's structure and it's not condescending. It's not like, oh my God, will you take your medicine? It's like, it's like, oh my God, I know that the world just screwed you. This is not gonna work out well for you. We need to make sure we accommodate. You ever gotten cereal and found that there's like a prize in the bottom, but, but there's like five prizes that you have to collect, you gotta collect them all. Well, my lecture is being broken up into small prizes that are found at the bottom of cereal boxes. Except instead of a cereal box, it's this podcast, and we will slowly be releasing them. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you ever have that thought where you think, hey, I'm nothing, stop. Remember, you're something. Something's shiny. That's right. Just as you are. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more free episodes of this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Instagram as Something Shiny Podcast. And if you're looking for more information, useful links, definitions, visuals, everything we can think of and more is on our website at somethingshinypodcast.com. And it's all free. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you in two weeks.